Can we see that Jesus is king of a kingdom and that that kingdom is spiritual? It is spiritual. It is not of this world. It exists in the spiritual realm. But even though it does not have an address, it does not have a brick and mortar building and it is spiritual, the power and influence and impact of this spiritual kingdom is very real and very relevant in our world. And if you want to know where the kingdom resides, if you are a born again believer, look here. Because in the new dispensation, His kingdom is at hand because it is established in our spirit beings. You are carrying the Holy Spirit. You host the Holy Ghost when you are a child of God. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Yo, God is good. God is good. There's nothing like being in His presence. There's nothing like being with you on a Sunday. Wow, it's so precious and so special. Thank you, God. Does everyone have a space? Everyone comfortable? Is there enough air flowing through the place? Uh, Our friends online who are watching from the U.S., we know it's cold where you are, but it's hot where we are, so. (laughs) All right, we're starting, as I said, a new series called The Best News Ever. The Best News Ever. Good news, the words good news have been used so many times, and I think we've lost the original meaning. So every now and again, we have to go, you know what, it is good news, but... It's so good that it's the best news ever. <laughs> and uh, I heard that the line from the first time from a song by Mercy Me. Um, it's actually quite a cool song. And um, we're not going to sing it because it's Mercy Me song. And it's not a worship song. It's more like a kind of a praise song. But you can go listen to it. Um, but the lyrics is not exactly in line with what I'm bringing. So that's also why we're not singing it for you today. But it's a great line. It's the best news ever. And uh, so I want to, and today we're going to talk about the king is coming. That is our first bit of best news ever. The king is coming. All right. And when I say that, I am talking about the prophecies in the Old Testament. And because um, I also know there's a prophecy of him returning again, obviously. We're going to focus a bit more today on him coming the first time. All right. So I want to ask you, when's the last time you got some really good news? Who got some good news this week? Heard something you're like waiting for? Okay, and you're excited about it. Cool. Who is trusting God for some good news in an area in your life? Okay, cool. But when we get that good news, especially if it's unexpected, it's, it's pretty great, right? We look like, whoa, man, that's awesome. Um, I think the... The best news I got this week was a testimony from uh, a young man here in our church, Cameron. He uh, sent me this long testimony of what God has done in his life, and I was in tears. It was just so powerful what God has done, completely healed him, and um, just showed him what it's like to be in the presence of God. So can we just give God the glory? Thank you, Jesus. That news blessed me, and I told him, this is why I get up in the morning, is, is because God is moving. And he's changing lives. Come on. So can you recall a moment where you receive the best news of your life? Best news of your life. Like you waited for it or it was super unexpected. But when you heard it, it was like, I needed to hear this. Best news ever. Um, For some of the men, it may have been when she said yes. (laughs) When you asked. I, I know for some men, there's a bit more surety than others. Uh, like you, you had the discussion beforehand, she picked out the ring. So you, you, know, you plan to ask, but you kind of know she's going to say yes. But for other men, it's not so sure. So when you go down on that knee, 
There's that moment. <laughs> Will I receive the best news or not? Some of you um, may have gotten the best news ever that you passed an exam, a final exam that you thought there's no way. Anyone passed something they thought, no, there's no way, all right? Um, and on a more serious note, maybe you got best news ever because you heard that the diagnosis they gave you initially about a terminal illness is gone. And you will never struggle with that again. That must be the best news for a lot of people. How many of you remember the moments where you didn't, didn't just hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but you had a revelation, a revelation knowledge moment where you realized with everything in you that Jesus died in your place so that you can be free from sin and the wages of sin and live in eternity with him. And that it's not by your own doing, your own works, being perfect in your own strength, but it's by grace through faith. This is more than good news, right? It, is, it should be for us all the best news ever. That moment we really realize it. Because many of us grew up in some kind of Christian environment where you've heard this. You've heard, hey, Jesus died for you. And I think sometimes people say, the good news is Jesus died for you. Or Jesus loves you. And someone who has no context hears that and goes, okay, but that makes no sense. But maybe they've never heard of Jesus. Maybe they don't know who Jesus is. And why did he die? Why did he, and what do you mean he died in my place? But there's a moment where if someone carry, takes you on a journey of understanding that, or if you have an encounter yourself with the living God while reading the word, or just having an encounter in, in a dream, there's many different ways that people encounter God in this way. And then suddenly this thing goes in your spirit. And you just know that you know. This is who Jesus is and what he has done. And then that should be the best news ever. Amen. So now in most of our cases, we had that revelation and we chose to step into relationship with Jesus and thereby we were born again, which immediately made us righteous and justified before God. And if we were taught well, we would also choose to accept Jesus as our Lord and King. And let him lead our lives, knowing that the Holy Spirit he sent now lives inside of us, making us temples of the Holy Spirit. We are in that precious time, that dispensation of the church of Jesus Christ. When we look at the history of the word of God, we are in a very precious dispensation moment. The where Jews and Gentiles can step into the covenant with the living God by believing in the name of Jesus and being born again. Did you know that the prophets of Old Testament prophesied and looked forward to this dispensation that we are in now? And they were jealous. They were going, whew, that's, that's amazing. Those people will have direct access through the Son of Christ to a life without sin and to eternity. They don't have to slaughter a lamb every year they don't have to do atonements they don't have to do the festivals Jesus Christ they looked forward to that the Old Testament messianic prophecy spoke of a mighty savior who would come Isaiah spoke of the virgin who would give birth to a son who would be the savior of his people about 700 years before it took place he prophesied it so about 2,700 years after Isaiah, we get to read this best news ever, as well as the best news ever shared by the angels with Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the wise men. We have prophecies by prophets, and we have words from angels, and we can sit and read all of it. How amazing is that? And we get to read what happened after that. What did the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ do for the world? And how the lives of those who give their lives to Him change. We get to see all of the good news. What a privilege. What a privilege. 
And today and the following two weeks, we will look at the best news ever from different messianic prophecies from Isaiah and how he highlights certain key attributes of Jesus and his prophecies. And I believe that God wants us to look at how Isaiah prophesied that Jesus will be king of a kingdom where he operates in the three main governmental branches that we know today, which are the executive, the legislative, and the judiciary. Judiciary. And what I also want to bring in is the social justice aspect, because that's very important when we get to some of the messianic prophecies. And we will see that Jesus rules in all three of these branches, all four of these branches of government. Amen? Today we'll focus on the kingship of Jesus in a message called, The King is Coming. So let us read together from Isaiah 9, from verse 1. The first verse may seem a little bit random to some of you, but I'm reading all of it for a reason which will become clear. So please follow along with me. And before we read the scriptures, let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that we get to talk about your word freely and openly in a public setting. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are being murdered around the world for just believing in you. And we do not take this lightly. Thank you that we, some of us, have multiple Bibles while our brothers and sisters in Christ try to memorize the whole Bible so that they can just think of it and meditate on it. Lord, forgive us where we become blasé about the access we do have. And I pray right now that you will help us, Holy Spirit, to not just read the Logos, the Word of God, in, in terms of the letters, but that we will get the rhema, the, the Holy Spirit revelation of what this means. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness... The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, have seen a great light. Remember that phrase. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. Where have we heard that before? Psalm 23. Upon them a light has shined. All right. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. How many of you would like to see an increase of joy in our nation? They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. This is the spoil after a, uh, a war was fought or a battle was fought. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. This refers to the battle that uh, Gideon had with the Midianites. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you, Jesus. Let the word of God come alive. This time of the year, we typically only hear it from the four. Unto us a child is born. Have you ever read that in context? All right. I want to show you something amazing that God showed me. We'll get there just now. Notice the location in verse 1. 
it speaks about this area and we're going to get back to why that's important. And, it, and, how, and then also notice how people are walking in darkness and have seen a great light. And this light increases the nation and brings great joy. So there's an enlargement of a nation and joy that increases. Then it speaks of a military victory in line with what happened in the book of Judges where Gideon had to face the Midianites. And then it starts the important sentence so many of us know well. And it starts with the word for unto us a child is born. So when we get the first part, we have to read that to understand why the, the next part is so important. Because you say for when you start. So when you hear all of this, this is important. For unto us a child is born. In a way it's saying this follows or because. All right. It follows the point that was just made and connects it. In other words, there will be a great victory because a child is born and a son was given. And he has all these amazing qualities. Do we understand that? All right. A child is born, a son is given. How many of you know John 3.16? For God so loved who? The world that he gave. What? His only begotten son. So that none might perish but have everlasting life. A child is born, a son is given. 700 years before, Jesus said, the one who he is talking about, for God so loved the world. I love it. These are still reasons why the previous verses are true. For unto us a, son is, a, son, a child is born, a son is given. This is a reason for the victory that was just spoken about. Um, remember the four. And the government will be upon his shoulder. We're continuing the thought. The government will be upon his shoulder. What does a government do? When it's working properly. <laughs> it rules. And it's made up of the executive the judiciary, and the legislative. Isaiah says Jesus will have this government on his shoulder. What do you do when you have something on your shoulder? You carry it. You feel the weight of it. Amen? Which government is Isaiah talking about? A government of the world? All the governments of the world? Who thinks it looks like Jesus is in charge of nations right now? Is Jesus in charge of the governments of the world right now? You're like, I don't want to be a heretic. <laughs> what is the right answer? I'm going to try to get us all there, all right? Could it be that Isaiah is referring to Jesus' millennial reign that we see in Revelation? When the devil is sent to the bottomless pit for a thousand years and Jesus reigns on the earth? I don't think so. You can draw that conclusion, but I think there's another way to see this. And I'm going to try and show you why I think so. Plus, the context of Isaiah refers to it starting and continuing. Okay. Let's keep reading. We're still busy with the... For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Some translations say Wonderful Counselor. Some say Wonderful, comma, Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, look at these words. He will be full of wonder. That's what wonderful means. Something is full of wonder. He will cause people to look at him in wonder and amazement. Because he's wonderful. Who thinks Jesus is wonderful? Have you taken a moment to just purposefully meditate on how awesome he is? Ever done that? Please do that as regularly as possible. What does a counselor do? A counselor gives advice. Right? We have different kinds of counselors, but in general, I went to look at this word, and it, it really just means someone who gives advice 
in, the, in this context. So he is an advisor. He is someone who gives wisdom to those who would listen. He is a mighty God. What does a God do? For most people in the world, when you speak of a God, you speak of something that is a, 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 has a, um, a divinity, something higher than. It is spiritual and it has power and it rules. But he is the God, amen? And he is a mighty God that rules and reigns and he will be mighty in it. What does it mean? He has might. Might is strength, power. All these things are qualities of this king who will come. Amen? How many of you have noticed that they call Jesus, the Messiah here, Father? Everlasting Father. Interesting. And he is that for eternity. I believe we should see in this the unity of the Godhead. But also that Jesus is the son of God. But for us he has a role of a father. And because he's, he's our connection between, him, uh, between you know, him and the Father. And I think there's a connection there which is quite beautiful. But also, let's look at what a father does. A father in God's original plan is the leader of the home. He's the spiritual head of the home. And he is the husband to the wife. Can you see that picture? So this, these are the qualities that Isaiah is also talking about which we see in this king. And he, then he is a prince of peace. Prince is a royal leadership position. And he heads up peace. If it was a company and he would have a department to run, his department would be, you're in charge of peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the one who makes sure that there is peace. In John, Jesus says to his disciples before he is crucified during the Last Supper, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. He's the carrier of peace. Amen. Now, some of you might think that, but there's this one verse where he says that I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That confuses some people. But we have to realize that when he says, I am the Prince of Peace, it's about making peace between mankind and God the Father and bringing that reconciliation. When he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, he's talking about how mother will turn against daughter and son against father when the one gives their lives to Jesus and the other one does not. And there becomes enmity between family members because of Jesus. But the person who gave his life to Jesus has peace. All right? So don't get confused. And the word teaches us furthermore that in God we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. What, what does that mean? It means that you cannot fathom it with your human brain. You will try, especially if you're a control freak, you will try. I must understand this peace. No. There's a surrender that's necessary for us to experience the peace of the Prince of Peace. It is a supernatural peace. It is above the natural. That make sense? And it's supposed to be like that because we should not expect anything less from our supernatural God who is the Prince of Peace. Then Isaiah goes on to say, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace. So he has a government on his shoulder. He is the prince of peace. Of the increase of both these things, there will be no end. All right? That's powerful. And they will keep increasing for eternity. Forever. How many of you know how long forever is? Do you have any idea? If I put my, the tip of my finger in some ink and I make one dot on the wall and I then draw a line from there around all along the wall, all around this, this whole hall and I keep going, drawing a line, drawing a line, drawing a line till all the wall is filled with a line. That little dot represents your life on earth and the rest is the beginning of forever. But what you do with the dot 
determines where you do the rest of the lines. Yo? Then Isaiah goes on to say, Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, he's going to do two things. He's going to order it and he's going to establish it with two things. Judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever. That is why I believe Isaiah is not talking about Jesus' millennial reign after the end times or during the end times. I believe he's talking about his reign from the time that he's born because he's talking about him being born and starting his government, his kingdom, from that time until forever. Can you see that? Are you with me? If someone has a massive theological difference with me, you're welcome to come and chat to me. But I believe that from the context and how Isaiah is phrasing this, this is how we should see it. And, I th- and it's good news. And I'm going to show you why. This government and peace will be upon the throne of David. He is the lion. Jesus is the lion from the line of Judah. The lion from the line of Judah. Or as our first lady that helped us in our house read to my son, Leon, Lion. It's a lion from the line of Judah. Jesus is the prophesied Messiah who would occupy the throne of David. This is language that refers to a king, the main leader, the one who establishes a kingdom and makes decrees that is completely untouched by democracy, thank God, or the opinions of its citizens, thank God. It is a kingdom, a king's domain. It is not a democracy. It says that he will order and establish this government from the throne of David. Does the throne of David and that kingdom exist? It did and it does. So why would he need to order and establish it? Because it's not in order and it's not established in the way it should be. I think it, can, um, it could mean the fact that the line of David is filled with such dysfunction because it's filled with people who come from corruptible seed. Guys, they are murderers, adulterers, and prostitutes in the line of David. When we, when religious Christians, let's say that, look, let's say if we change the names, of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And we say to someone, hey, what do you think of this family? What do you think of this family? This one murdered and did adultery. This one was a prostitute. This one slept with this one. It's a mess. It's like a soapy on steroids, guys. That if, if someone is not aware of how the kingdom of God works... And they just read the facts. They will go, Whew, no, this is, this is a mess. This is dysfunctional. It's corrupted. And they would be right. All right? How many of you are sitting here today, and when you think of your own family line, your own family tree, you would rather not have people read that out loud. And you could even be sitting with bad feelings of where do I come from? I'm not worthy. I can't have this. I can't have that. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had a a man coming to me in the front here, weeping. I said, do you want to make your life right with Christ? He said, I'm not ready. I said, bro, you don't have to be ready. You must just be willing. Jesus will do the rest. Okay, this is going to get good. All right. So, Jesus help me. But now we have Jesus who comes from incorruptible seed. The Holy Spirit gave the seed that impregnated the egg of Mary. Are we in agreement? 
That's why it's a miraculous birth, a virgin birth, all right? But Jesus' connection to the royal lineage is through Joseph by the book of Matthew. Does Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary, have a crown, a throne, or a kingdom? No. But he comes from the line of David, the root of Jesse. But he does come from the line of he. Uh, okay, so he does come from the line of David. Joseph comes from the line of David. But wait a minute, Jesus doesn't come from Joseph's seed. The Bible is very clear that Joseph did not know Mary until Jesus was born. That means biblical knowledge. That means having sex, for those who don't know. They did not consummate their marriage before Jesus was born. So is Jesus in the line of David? And if he is, how is he? How is he in the line of kings that is not established and not ordered? Because he is a man, Joseph, from the line of David, no throne, no kingdom, no power. It's not ordered. It's not established. Here comes Jesus through miraculous conception. And Joseph wants to run away because it's shameful to have a woman who's pregnant before you get married. That used to be the way it was, the way it should be. But then an angel comes to speak to him and says, this is the plan. This is what's happening. And the angel says to Joseph, you will marry Mary and you will call this, this boy Jesus. You will name him. What happened the moment that Joseph was obedient and said, okay, I will marry Mary. I will take them. What did Joseph do to Jesus? He adopted him. He adopted him. How many of you understand what adoption means? Adoption is a legal process whereby a child becomes the child of that parent as if it was their own. So Joseph from the corruptible line of the line of kings, which has been prophesied and prophesied and prophesied, is now a humble carpenter who's a little bit unsure of this situation. What's happening here? He is told to be obedient and it challenges everything in him. But he says yes. And in that moment he says yes. He adopts the king of kings. And by that action, he puts the incorruptible seed into the line of corruptible seed. And Jesus flips the script. And because of that, everything back in, back in the day, all the way back, he makes incorruptible. He cleanses the whole line. He establishes it and he orders it. Come on, let's give Jesus a praise. How good is that, guys? Oh. So when Jesus is on the throne of David through adoption, he can establish and order it with his justice and judgment. And it's from that time forevermore. Like I said, it is from that time forevermore. Okay. And it, Isaiah ends off by saying, how will these miraculous things happen? By the zeal of the Lord of hosts. He will perform it. How many of you know what zeal is? What is zeal? 
How many of you remember that moment that you first came to Christ and you had this like high, this energy, this thing where you just wanted to tell everyone about Jesus? Anyone remember that moment? That passion mixed with your spiritual energy, that is a form of zeal. Now, who knows that God created everything? So he created zeal. So do you think the zeal of the Lord of hosts would be the best kind of zeal that you can find? So with that zeal, the Lord of hosts will establish these things that Isaiah has prophesied. So we can know that it has been performed. Okay? I believe that this fact of Jesus establishing a kingdom while on earth is evident in the following scriptures that I want to read to you. And this is the best news ever. Because it means that we can be and are a part of His kingdom now, already. But we need to make sure we understand what His kingdom is and how it operates. Are we in agreement? All right. So first, we're going to look at how beautifully Isaiah 9 connects with Matthew 4. Whew. I should probably read it again. No, you'll, you'll, you're, you're clever people. You'll, you'll catch it. Matthew 4 from verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, which was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 9 verse 1, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is right here, right now. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, then saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and Andrew and brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their livelihood, their income, their every source of security, and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Sons of thunder. In the boat with Zebedee, I added that in. With the Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. These men are with their father. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, good news of the kingdom. Flip it. This is amazing. And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. That is the fruit of the kingdom which has come now because it's at hand. Yo. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. It's tangible. Jesus is the king of that kingdom and he is standing right in front of you. Matthew references Isaiah 9 in a clear connection that I believe confirms Jesus' kingdom was established through him while on earth. And we see how it immediately started. He immediately started to recruit loyal subjects for his kingdom. What does a king have? A mission. What is Jesus' mission when we look at his actions? He decrees his kingdom vision Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he recruits and trains disciples to do what? To do what he's doing. To catch men into the kingdom of God. So he's going to what? Increase the nation, the government, the kingdom, 
with joy because people are getting healed. When you are healed, are you happy or sad? You are filled with joy. Come on. But what is his kingdom? You may be asking. And if he is ruling, why does the world look the way it does? These are good questions. Let's see what the word tells us. Okay, the Jews were, and many still are, waiting for a Messiah that is a political savior who will rescue his people from immediate and direct oppression, the kind that they can see with their natural eyes and sense with their senses. That's what they are still expecting. You understand? In Acts 1, this is proven when we see that even the disciples of Jesus ask Jesus before he ascends to heaven. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they know he's the Messiah. They are still a bit confused about why he came and who he is and how his kingdom works. So as a last sort of day wedding, I mean, it's that moment in the car where you just had a goodbye and people, you've already said goodbye on the house. You said goodbye on the stoop and you said goodbye on the road. And now you're saying goodbye on the car. You know how we greet in South Africa. It takes very long. Now, it's that moment where he's really going now. And they go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Can we just know? Jesus, are you going to establish the kingdom for Israel now? What does Jesus say? He responds by telling him it's not for them to know the times and seasons that the Father has put in place. And then he changes the subject. He says, my spirit will come upon you. Go and wait. And when he comes, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? My kingdom. Spreading the word. What does a witness do? They testify of what? What they've seen. And by what power will they testify? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. If I don't go, he won't come. So he went. He, he told them and they were still surprised. Like some of you are. I'm reading a word that you've read before. But you, like it's, you're hearing it for the first time. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, even his disciples had an expectation of a now earthly government. They were expecting a now earthly government. Many of us are expecting God to do a now earthly miracle for us that suits us that we want now. But his plans far outweigh your immediate physical selfish needs. But when we get a kingdom perspective, everything changes. This is so good. Okay. And one can understand why when you read the Old Testament and we read the best news that they got, that Isaiah brings them, this is good news. And especially if we read chapter 9, which speaks of a government. It's understandable that they were expecting Jesus to roll in with an army and take over the Romans. It's, it makes sense. But we need to make sure, us in this dispensation, looking at all of the good news, we need to understand what kingdom we are dealing with and how it works. So look what Jesus says about his kingdom. The government that he carries on his shoulder. How does he describe it? John 18 verse 36 Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. We read that and go, oh, that's nice. But when are you going to save us from our government? My kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, but no, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom 
is not from here. Also look at how Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. You know this very well if you've been in church all your life. Matthew 6 from verse 9. In this manner therefore pray. This is Jesus telling them how to pray. Their rabbi, their teacher is teaching them how to pray. He says, our father. Now that already was shaking the foundations. Because to a Jew at that time, calling God Yahweh, father, was your I don't know if I can do that. He's a father, first of all. Second of all, that might be disrespectful. It was a weird thing for them. He starts the prayer with our father, establishing what? That he is the link between us and the father in heaven. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? 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 <laughs> Is it sinking in? Yo. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Any grudges, any unforgiveness, God cannot forgive you if you don't forgive others. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory from now forever. Can we see that Jesus is king of a kingdom and that that kingdom is spiritual? It is spiritual. It is not of this world. It exists in the spiritual realm. But even though it does, it does not have an address. It does not have a brick and mortar building. And it is spiritual. The power and influence and impact of this spiritual kingdom is very real. And very relevant in our world. And if you want to know where the kingdom resides... If you are a born-again believer, look here. Because in the new dispensation, His kingdom is at hand because it is established in our spirit beings. You are carrying the Holy Spirit. You host the Holy Ghost when you are a child of God. I'm going to say my old thing. Some of you don't get it yet. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will keep breaking this open to you in the week. And then we have more best news ever found in Matthew 16 from verse 18. And, also, and I also say to you, Peter, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of death, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven in this amazing account of jesus breaking open the disciples what capability he has given the church and what he has made available to the church that's what he's doing firstly the church is central church comes from the greek word ecclesia which means the assembly of the called out ones that's what we are we are the assembly of the called out ones the church is not a building it's us okay what are we the church is in essence the earthly entry point and base of operations for the kingdom of god on earth in this realm Woo! we are the gateway we are the <laughs> We are the gateway for the kingdom. <laughs> Whew, Holy Spirit, this has never happened before. Oh. We are the. <laughs> Yo, I know, but okay. We are the gateway of the kingdom of heaven. We are the entry point. How the kingdom that is spiritual is established in this realm is through the church. Jesus. Notice that Jesus will establish and will order it 
And he will do it in such a way that the gates of Hades, the gates of death will not prevail against it. Now, I think many Christians, when they read that, they think the gates of Hades is attacking the church, but they won't prevail. <laughs> Have you ever seen a gate attack someone? Does a, <laughs> I'm not talking about when you tailgate and the gate closes. Okay, have you ever seen an ancient gate attack someone? <laughs> In principle, a gate does two things. It keeps something in and it keeps something out. Are we in agreement? What does the gate of Hades keep in? Remember, we are dealing with two kingdoms. Kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness. Now that you know a bit more about God's kingdom, who do you think is behind the gates of Hades? Dead people. Who are the dead people? This is going to rock your world. It's not people who necessarily have already died in this realm. It's people who have not given their lives to Christ. Because they are dead and condemned according to the word of God. Remember, believers don't go, uh, good people don't go to heaven, believers go to heaven. If you are not saved, born again, you are heading to hell for an eternity. Boom, claw, finished. It's not my opinion, it's the word of God. And there are only two kingdoms that you can operate in. The kingdom of glight or the kingdom of darkness. Amen? Glight is when you say something twice. Is when you want to say God and then you say light. So when Jesus says, I will establish my church on this rock, he, and then he says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, the church. The gates of death cannot stand, cannot withstand, cannot withhold the church. Why? Because the church is the entry point of the kingdom of heaven into this realm. So when the church says we need to get that person saved, we are going to pray for them. We are going to speak to them. And the moment that you engage with someone that's on the other side of the gates of Hades and they come to Christ, the gates will not prevail. They will come this side. They will come out. The gates cannot prevail against the church of God. But the gates will stand and look intimidating to you if you do not know what kingdom you represent. And if you do not know the authority that you have been given. Because Jesus goes on and says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whew. What do keys do? They unlock and they lock. What, when do you give someone keys of your home? Of your king, your house is like your kingdom. When do you give them your keys? It's either when you are handing over ownership or when you are willing to share ownership. We have the keys to loose on earth dead people. To make them come alive in Christ so that their new life registers in heaven. This is so much better than your faces are telling me. Guys, this is huge. We have the keys to change lives. We are the entry point of the church from this dead, broken world, the gates of Hades. And we can go whoop. Whoop. Come on, come with us. Be part of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> oh man. I'm probably going to repeat myself now, but I'm going to read my notes. Kingdom minded churchgoers and believers will understand they have a mandate to seek and save the lost, those who are dead in spirit. 
those who are heading for an eternity of death away from God. When you understand the kingdom and the church, you will understand and have an urgency that we need to get dead people out of Hades and into heaven. Amen? Each time we lead someone to Jesus, it is a dead soul brought out of Hades. Each time the church went through the gates of Hades and grabbed another one for the kingdom of God. And not only has he established the kingdom, but he has given the keys to his bride, to his body. You give keys to someone that you trust. You give keys to someone that you are intimate with. We are his body. We are his bride. He trusts us. There is a weight to that that we need to get. We cannot be blasé. We cannot be flippant. We cannot be familiar. We cannot just stick a Christian badge on our chest and do what we want. The calling is so much higher. The stakes are so much higher. Lives are literally at stake. Not figuratively, literally. Remember the dot on the wall. If we do not get to the dead people while their dot is still blinking, they will spend eternity in death away from God. And now if someone will say, don't judge me, God will. The word says this so that we know this, so that we can act on this. I do not care about your feelings. I care about your eternity. I don't want to see you die. I don't want to see you die. And even if you don't get it, and you think feelings are more important than eternity, I will keep telling you, in love and in as much niceness as I can muster, but at some point, you need to be slapped with the truth and make a decision. You know what Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out the first time? He said, go cast out demons, go heal the sick. Go do all these things. Don't take anything with you. They will take care of you. And he said, if you find a place where there is no faith, shake the dust from your feet and take your peace with you. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. How beautiful are their feet. Do you hear that the Prince of Peace has given us the ability to bring peace and take peace. We are so empowered by the King of Kings and we don't know it. If every Christian knew what Jesus had done and given and made available and they were walking as the royal sons of God, the royal daughters of God, knowing who they are, To such an extent, they know if I meet someone who is on that side of the gate of Hades, I have the key to unlock their life. Because I am the church. I am part of the church. And because I'm part of the church, I'm a citizen of heaven. I am am here, but I'm not from here. I belong to Jesus and I'm actually in heaven. But while I'm here, I'm going to do what I can to get as many people to come with me. Oh, we're going to reflect and respond on this amazing word from God. And we're going to sing a song. And during that song, I want you to come humbly before the humble king. And just let these words and this truth saturate your soul, saturate your spirit. Let it become reality to you. Let the truth of what the kingdom of God, of Jesus really is, let it fill all of who you are and understand that it comes with your freedom, but that it wasn't just for your freedom. It was for you to take that freedom, that empowerment, and that ability, and those keys, and to go and unlock lives for the kingdom of God.
because He did it for you. He did it for you. Here's the question for us all. Will we keep the best news ever to ourselves? Or will we share it with zeal in order to establish and to order the kingdom of God on this earth? Let us stand before the King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.